0: City Church. It's good to be here with everybody. Thanks for uh, being with us. If you're here in person or if you're watching online, uh, we are going to be diving into uh, week three of a series that we are calling Prophecy. And I had this uh, epiphany during worship that A series like this is, and really, honestly, a lot of probably what we teach at City Church is really not about you. Our goal is to connect people to Him. And there's a lot of church content, and and maybe this comes like as a little bit of a slam, but there's a lot of church content that really is about making you feel better about you and helping you feel happy about who you are and i I don't want you to feel unhappy about who you are you know what i'm saying but like go see a therapist you know um fall in love with jesus know who jesus is and know what you believe so that your heart can be prepared for the eternity that sets in front of us and so today we're going to be kind of uh uh diving into what I think is some really interesting information, all right, but it is also, I'm not going to lie, probably going to uh, be quite different than some of what you have been taught before out of the book of Revelation, and so uh, I hope that you are encouraged and challenged, and if you see something that you want to challenge me on, I want to give you fair warning. I don't know everything, and so it is quite possible when we are talking about prophetic things that have yet to be uh, revealed in their entirety that I could get something wrong. And I am perfectly fine with that. And so uh, there is not an arrogance uh, coming from me that's like, I've got it all figured out. So, all right, let's uh, go ahead and stand for the reading of the word. I think that if I hit next on my slide, it's going to start a video based on what I'm seeing, not my slide. So maybe go ahead and load my first slide so that it'll correct. There we go. All right. So we're going to read here out of Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony uh, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven: Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and to the dragons and and. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron but her child was caught up to god and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by god in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days so today i want to talk about who are the players in this kind of end times narrative let's pray father we love you thank you for your word thank you for your faithfulness thank you for your consistency I pray that as we are looking at the text today that we would be encouraged, Lord, but that also we would gain understanding, Father, that we would gain understanding into who you are, what your intentions are, and what we can expect. Lord, we love you and praise you in your mighty name, amen. You can be seated. So, we're going to uh, pick back up where we ended a couple of weeks ago uh, following the the. Picture of the seven seals and the trumpets, and then we broke out and talked about the importance of understanding who this enemy is, uh, what his what his identity might be, and that we really don't know all of the details. But I talked to you guys about a a a, a biblical worldview that a lot of the New Testament New Testament authors appear to have, and that is that there is some type of dominion that has been given to spiritual beings over earth. And we'll talk again, I'll refresh us on that in a moment, but I just want to give you that perspective to keep back in your kind of tucked in the back of your mind as we're looking at this text because Daniel talks about these principalities, right? So he says, I, I went to the Lord and for twenty one days I prayed and fasted and the angel showed up and said, Hey, God sent me on the first day, right? But a war waged that prevented me from getting to you. Now that in itself challenges a lot of the kind of the, the 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 way that i was raised up in church to think about god like, like i i i struggle with okay well how can god be sending a word and that word be held up in a conflict that takes three weeks to get there right because so many times our picture of god is that god's just kind of up there with his wand ready to just bless you and bless you and bless you and Yet, that's not the picture we get when we actually get into Scripture. Uh, so, let's just start here in Revelation 12, and I just want to begin in verse 1. And we're going to cover a lot of text today. So, and a great sign appeared in heaven. Okay, what is a sign? A sign is, this is an indication, ceremonially or supernaturally okay so when it says that a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars so we know that this whatever this is is this is an indication of something either ceremonial ceremonially or supernaturally And what does it say? It says that she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So who is this woman who is pregnant in Revelation chapter 12? One of the things that I think gives us a little bit of insight into understanding end times prophecy is looking at the text as a whole, right? And so that means going from Genesis all the way back to Revelation. And one of the things that's fascinating about John's writing is that John is not just sitting here and writing out a a. A, a book for us to read and consume, independent of everything else. No, there's so much language being used inside of this that that points us directly to other parts of Scripture, right? And so it, there's a harmony that's taking place between the the message of Revelation and then the prophecies that are given in other books that were written thousand years plus before on things like the coming beast, and the exile of the, the people of Israel and the return of the people of Israel. And one of those times happens right here, okay? So there is only one other reference to the sun, moon, and 12 stars in Scripture, right? So I think that there's an intentional imagery here, right? When it talks about a sign, it talks about this, this image of the sun, the moon, and the 12 stars. The, the only other time that we see imagery like this is in Genesis 37, Joseph has had his second dream, and it says in verse 9, Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. So granted, it's eleven stars and not twelve, but I think that there's a really simple explanation as to why. Uh, verse uh, 10 But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So what what does his dad say? His dad says, I I understand your dream, right? Is it that myself and your mom and your 11 brothers are going to come and bow before you, right? So if the 11 brothers are the 11 stars, then I think we would be able to argue that the 12th star would be Joseph. And when we actually go and look at the lineage here, right, of this family, um, if Joseph is the 12th star, okay, now track with me for a moment. I, I want to make sure that I don't just, a lot of times I'll, I'll go and listen to a, a pastor that'll be preaching on a subject like this, and they'll say things that when you go and look it up, you're like, well, hold on, that's not really quite what it says, right? So I want to make sure that, that I give you guys all the details here. So Joseph is actually not one of the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? There are 12 tribes, they are quote-unquote the 12 sons of Jacob, Jacob Israel, right? Technically, Joseph has two sons, and those two sons each become a tribe of Israel. And Levi, who is one of his brothers, is not counted among the tribes, okay? So, we still end up with 12 tribes, they represent Israel the 11 stars plus Joseph at this point make up this imagery of Israel that is clearly taught within Jewish teaching at this time in history that John's writing the book of Revelation. And so my argument here is that in a lot of A lot of guys in the last 30 or 40 years have tried to teach that this woman, right, is uh, giving birth to the church. I think that this woman is actually Israel. And I think that John is making that pretty plain. And that what John is not doing is John is not placing this section of text inside of the tribulation. Okay? So... The, the way that we've already seen the, the, the book structured is that there are letters that are sent out to churches and then we are given this picture of the seven seals and the seven trumpets. And I laid this out for you. You can go back and, and watch this online. The, it's not this like narrative story that's linear, right? Instead, we get the seven seals and then when we get the trumpets, they actually lay back inside of the seven seals. So John is not writing a story that is happening linear in its, in its uh, perspective. It's more like a Christopher Nolan film, right? Where you have no idea where in the plot you're at until you get to the very end, right? I mean, that's the truth. Like if you're going to watch a Christopher Nolan film, you need to just take time and throw it away a lot of times, right? You're like, like time is not a thing here for this guy, right? Great storyteller does not follow a linear track many times, okay? He's, they're giving us information as we need it to be able to understand what it is that they're communicating. I think that what is happening is that that John is paused for a moment, and instead of talking about the tribulation for a moment, he is talking about the the players that are going to be Uh, manifest during this tribulation period, and he's making sure we have an understanding of their backstory. And so, this woman for us, this is Israel. And she here is going to have a child. So, Israel plays a pivotal role in the tribulation. Israel's position as the chosen ones of God is one that does not have this, like, okay, uh, you know, well, like that was then, and now it just doesn't matter. The argument that I'm making here is that John is communicating to us that Israel has been in this position of birth pains, okay, and they are going to have a son, which we'll get to in a moment, but. Step Israel's position in the tribulation, Jeremiah, he calls it Jacob's trouble. Okay, so uh, they refer to it as Jacob's trouble. Now, I'm doing this because I want y'all to see some time frames here. If this right here represents the seven years of tribulation, this right here is the halfway point. Okay. Jacob's trouble is going to take place in the first half of whatever this, this final week, as Daniel refers to it, is uh, this seven-year period. When it begins, this first three and a half years is going to be uh, a period of time of great persecution on Israel. So, let's just we'll take a look at that for a moment. Jeremiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 7. Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of disasters for Jacob. Jeremiah's writing, Jacob is dead. So we know that the, the writers of the Old Testament oftentimes refer to Israel under the name of Jacob, okay? And so, because Jacob was Israel, all right? Yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, For behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Now, a lot of people will make the argument that the period of Jacob's trouble has already taken place and it's behind us. There are, I think, a couple of clues in here that suggest that it's not. Primarily right here in this this portion of the text where it says, Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. So whether or not you want to make the argument that Israel returned, right, uh, during the time of Christ and they were back in the land or whether you want to make the argument that it happened in 1948, we have not ever seen a season for Israel where they have been at peace and ease. They have always been surrounded by neighbors that want to destroy them. Now, the this the remainder of this chapter and the next chapter continue to talk about this time period of, of turmoil, right, or the lifestyle of turmoil that Israel will live in. There will come a time where they are finally and fully restored they are taken out and they are no longer to be persecuted and I just want to make the argument that I do not think that this has been fulfilled we have not seen the fulfillment of Israel's restoration now go over to Daniel chapter 11 verse 32 Uh, actually these are uh, out of order let me pop right here okay Verse 1, at that time shall, this is chapter 12, at that time shall arise Michael. So, I want to back up for us for a moment. Verse 31 uh, of chapter 11. So, what is at that time? Okay, when is the time that he's going to be talking about? Uh, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that that makes desolate. Verse 32, "...he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder." when they stumble they shall receive a little help and many shall join themselves to them with flattery and some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined purified and made white until the time of the end for it still awaits the appointed time now we're talking about the desolation of uh, the abomination of desolation and that takes place in the center of the tribulation period so There's going to be a temple or something happening on the temple mount, and they are going to basically create a uh, sacrifice, someone is going to, that is going to desecrate that, that holy place as far as Israel or the Jews are concerned. So, what is this time? The time that he gets into is right here in the middle of whatever... This tribulation is. And he says that at that time shall arise Michael, and we know that Michael is one of the angels. And it says that the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt and everlasting So this right here is the resurrection of the dead making it an end time event. So track with me for a moment because this is, uh, hopefully in a moment you're going to go, oh man, this is kind of crazy, okay? We're given a picture here in Revelation 12 of of a woman with birthing pains, right? And we've given imagery of, of these, these, these 12 stars, right? And if the argument is that it's Israel and that Israel plays this big role in the tribulation period, then when Daniel is talking about this tribulation period and he's talking about the uh, desecration that takes place on the Temple Mount, right? Right? He ties that, that event to the resurrection of the dead. Now, the resurrection of the dead has not yet happened. So the desecration cannot have happened yet. Okay? Right? So if the desecration has not happened, and, and some argue that it happened in 70 AD, and I'm not saying that a desecration didn't happen, but the desecration of prophetic scripture has not happened because we have not seen the resurrection of the dead we have not seen that happen we have not seen it taken place and so this is the argument is that if you kind of buy into some of the ideas that all of this is behind us then you begin to think well israel's in the clear it's all good and that's a dangerous place to be israel has not yet faced its greatest hurdle jacob's trouble Jeremiah 30 and 31. And so I want to argue that these events have not yet been fulfilled. Now, Daniel goes on in verse 3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase." So it says that we're going to take these words, it's not going to make sense to everybody, okay, until a time when people are able to move about as they please and knowledge is abounding. Now, how do we know this is referencing the end times, right? The final age, the return of the king. Well, if we go to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus here is sitting, and it says that as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Same language, the end, the end of the age. How will we know when it's happening? Jesus, please help us understand. Seems like a fair question. Like if I had an audience with Jesus and I had a few minutes with him. I'm not, not going to lie. Hey, what can we expect in the coming years? That's going to be on my list of questions. Like, what do I need to do to prepare? Okay? And, and watch what he does here in verse 15. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, not just any abomination of desolation, but the one spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand so what does jesus do jesus points to daniel so they're sitting together they're having this conversation and and they said jesus when when is the, this end going to come when is when are you going to return and set up your eternal kingdom and he says go back and read daniel go back and read the prophecies that are in place you'll know when these things begin to happen and the thing that Daniel and Jeremiah are arguing is that this tribulation period is about restoring Israel. It's about restoring Israel. And restoration is more than just territory. Okay? Restoration is not just simply going, look, here's, here's your portion of the land. You're good. That's it. No, restoration, it's territory, but it is peace. It is covenant. Right? Right? It is, it, is a, it is a way of life. That restoration has not taken place. That restoration has not taken place. Actively, to this moment today, Hamas is setting up new, new missile silos. They have, they have hundreds and hundreds of them around the area. For what reason? There is an intention to attack Israel. Right? And we've been hearing this for decades. And what is happening actively today, it, it is continuing to take place. And so at some point, Israel is going to experience an invasion of its territory. Why? Because it has not been fully restored. It has not seen the peace that it has been promised. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Now, I'm going to tell you that this imagery right here is around the nature of the enemy. It is not to give us, right, a picture of him with his pitchfork and his little red suit, right? Okay, this is, this is problematic for us. In fact, C.S. Lewis, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. In them. So, what do we see here? We see seven heads, right? What are these seven heads? Well, the number seven is a number of completion... Right, so it's not a number of perfection. Think about that for a moment. Right, we talk about the the, the number seven, and a lot of times uh, people will say, "Oh, that's the number of perfection," but it's really about things being finished, things being done. If we go and apply it equally throughout Scripture, so what does this tell us about this beast? This beast is intelligent, and this is what I tell people. Right, because. Uh, uh, especially when you get into charismatic circles, there, there's this language that gets used around the idea of uh, generational curses, right? And, and inside of Scripture, like, that's a really hard thing to be like, oh, like, here's your generational curse passages, and here's how you deal with generational curses. This is what I tell people, is that, is that I don't necessarily buy into generational curses, but we have an enemy, that is not like God. He's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, and he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere all the time, but he is very old. And he has lived a very long, long time. And he has seen a lot of human nature. And think about this for a moment, right? Think about what we know, just the, the little sliver of information and insight we have through psychology using science, right? That we are greatly impacted by our home life the way our moms and dads raise us it influences us and for good or for bad right we walk out of that home and we carry a lot of that influence do you not think that an enemy that has been watching generation after generation after generation of your family knows how to manipulate the hearts and emotions of your home to create environments that are unhealthy for your children this, I think, is a better way of looking at the enemy. Is not that somehow he has a, this like magic hold on people, but he, if we are not aware of his presence, if we do not acknowledge his existence, right? And I love the fact that C.S. Lewis in his quote doesn't just talk about the devil, but the devils. If we do not look to this and gain understanding that there is an influence, a constant influence from generation to generation taking place then then what happens is we leave ourselves open for attack now there is this language uh around the diadems right now a diadem is a jeweled crown worn as a symbol of sovereignty so you have the diadem this language and then over here remember that we had the these stars and these are uh these are the, the the tribes of Israel, okay, in this regard, okay. I think that what's happening here is uh, a, helping us get a picture of what took place in Deuteronomy 32. So in Deuteronomy 32, it says that when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, this is referencing the Tower of Babel, I covered this two weeks ago, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, right? But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So whatever it was, right? How, however many tribes, however many groups of people were divided up at the Tower of Babel, their leadership, their kings, right, were the sons of God right and this is lowercase s these are disembodied spiritual beings I, I can't I can't tell you exactly who this is right I can't tell you like with some certainty that this is like you know you know God created some best friends and they hung out with him I, we know that the language of counsel is used several times in the Old Testament so you have this group of spiritual beings that are around God and they are given authority authority over groups of people i think that when we see this creature with the seven heads and the diadems right the diadems are representative of kings probably on a spiritual level right this group of disembodied beings that have pledged their allegiance to the dragon to the enemy whoever this one serpent is that we call satan or lucifer that is opposed to god and to god's creation so perhaps maybe there were 12 rulers right and if there were 12 rulers and this is just picking a number randomly then there would be one, there would be 11 that rebel against the one because the one god says he kept a portion for himself so are there if there are again taking a number 12 kingdoms Then some portion of them rebelled against God. Now, it's interesting, too, that God chose for his kingdom, right, Abram and Sarai. Sarai was 80 and barren, never had kids. So you've got the entire world that you can go and choose from to establish a nation, a people group. And he's already giving over territory, right, to these other spiritual beings, right, for what purpose, right, he does it, and he says, but I'm going to keep a portion, and this portion is going to be mine. And of, the, the, of all the people he could have chosen, he chose the one that could not have a child, naturally. Obviously, we know that God opens the womb, that she bears a child, right? That child is Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, and they become the 12 tribes, and hence Israel. So God knew what he was doing But we don't have a clear picture of why and who all those players exactly are. Look over here at Revelation 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. So we see these ten diadems, right? So why would that number matter? So probably ten kings, earthly, spiritual, I'm not sure. The beast would be one of them, that's the Antichrist, we're going to cover that next week, specifically like breaking him down. So the Antichrist is one, so that would make 11, and again, just, a, just, just looking at it from this perspective, if God's kingdom Israel, he is the king of that, and ultimately will be the king and ruler of all, then that would make 12 kingdoms. Uh, We go here into verse 2 of chapter 13. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So this is the Antichrist. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? That sounds like a praise and worship song, right? You know, who is like the beast and who can uh, fight against it? Who is like our God? right? It's a, it's a, it sounds like a perversion of it. Now, the, this dragon, the, the enemy, this ruler, right, gives this embodied king his power. Why does that matter? Well, Jesus is God in the flesh, right? Jesus comes. He is God in the flesh, a complicated picture of the Trinity. We talked about this a few months ago. So, what does the enemy do? He takes a being a human in the flesh, and then gives his authority over to that human, right? This is why it is the Antichrist, because it is now Satan in the flesh. The Antichrist, the opposite of the Messiah. And the people worship the beast, but I want to just tell you, these are not Satanists, okay? This is not like all of a sudden you can identify them because they're like, oh, I'm a Satanist. Well, Well, we know exactly where you're at, right? Okay. They are deceived, right, by this miracle that takes place, and they begin to worship the beast because of the miracle, because of the sign. Verse 5, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So, that is three and a a half of this tribulation period. Watch what it says. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So, what does He do? He shows up, and He is blaspheming the God of Scripture, talking about how worthless that God is, how pointless that God is, perhaps probably even the blasphemous just saying, he's not real, I'm the actual authority. You've heard about this God, this God isn't real, I'm the real God. And people are hearing this, they're being inundated with it, and then a miracle takes place because he suffers some head wound that everyone is aware of, and he comes back to life. He's dead, he's resurrected. And so people are confused, people are deceived and they begin to worship this one true beast this antichrist but look here in verse 7 it says also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation this is really important because my whole life i've been taught this idea of a pre-tribulation rapture right that we're going to get into this seven years it's not going to matter to the church because we're out of here, we're gone. And I, I got to tell you, that, that could be the case. There are strong arguments to suggest that it's not the case. And I'm not here to draw a line in the sand, you know. Um, I will tell you that, historically speaking, God takes His people through the fire. He doesn't take them around the fire. He took them right through the Red Sea. He made dry ground for them, but they walked through, right? shadrach meshach and abednego right into the furnace daniel right into the lion's den now this doesn't mean that he doesn't protect his children okay but i don't know that the saints are gone at this point so either this enemy is making war on the church or the church is gone and there's a whole new church like all of a sudden people are like i've heard that my whole life i'm getting saved and so now there's a new group of saints that are on the scene One of those two has to be the case. But the saints are what? They are set apart by God. They are sacred. They are holy. That's the language that John uses. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now, this is another really trippy thing for us to consider. But God gives the beast authority over the non-believers. That means that does not mean that he gives him authority like as a puppet master. He gives them authority as their king, as their ruler, right? I mean, let's just use Hitler for a moment, right? Hitler did not have a a string that was attached to people, right? Okay, he just gave them orders, and if they didn't do what he said, he had other people kill them carry out his will. Now we already know that these kings, right? These these rulers are we already know that they're in rebellion. We already know that God is calling them out. We already know that God sees that they are wicked and they do not care about the people that they have authority over. And so what is what happens here is God says, "Okay, all right. We've got the saints, we've got a group of believers. I'll maintain them and just like in Deuteronomy, the rest are yours." Now, why is that trippy? Because so many times we buy into this picture that God is just, it's your best life. Like, all he's ever doing is just making everything better, right? But this story is not about you. This story is about God. This story is about his kingdom, right? We're a part of that. We're in the story but this is not our story. This is his story. And so God gives the beast authority over the non-believers. And again, this does not align with what many think is loving. We go on here in verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And I just, I just want to say that maybe all of this like language in Revelation is less of a riddle than we have been led to think people go, oh man, that's so confusing, I don't even dive into it. But maybe it's not that complicated. Maybe in the context of Scripture as a whole, it actually makes a little bit of sense that God is coming to establish an eternal kingdom in which He will rule and reign, and the saints of God, those that choose to be a part of that kingdom, will be able to be a part of for eternity. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Now, the question that always comes up is where will the beast come from? There are two really good arguments. One is that he'll come from Europe. The other is that he'll come from the Middle East. Specifically, some descendancy of Rome, uh, the Left Behind series, Tim LaHaye, uh, those guys, they, they said that he came out of Romania uh because romania is the descendants of rome i don't know this to be you know like like there's just not a lot of really strong evidence either direction middle east uses several references to an assyrian that rises up uh we're not exactly sure what territory the uh antichrist comes from or if it's even territorially based and it may just specifically be a descendant that could be from anywhere in the world uh Go back to Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to wrap up here and and try to be a little concise. But verse 5 it says that she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was called up to God and to his throne. Now, a lot of people make the argument that this is the church, but I'm going to argue that if the woman is Israel, and even more specifically, Mary, that Jesus. actually fits inside of this passage as being the only person I can think of who is given to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but is caught up to God and His throne, right? He says, I will tell of the, Uh, if we go to Psalm chapter 2, he says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So if we just look at this text and we begin to use the same method that John is referencing and giving clarity inside of Revelation to what has already been said, then I think that we have a good argument that the, the son is Jesus, that he is the one that will rule the nations with a rod, okay? And, and, and he is, this would make sense why the beast wants to devour him, right? I mean, think about this for a moment. We come in Genesis chapter 3... The enemy thinks, I've gotten this, Adam and Eve are going to follow me. It's all smooth. God shows up and says, all right, here's the deal. Eventually, someone is coming, a seed, a descendant, and it's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And what do we see following that, right? We see a nonstop, relentless attack on the bloodline. Why? Because there is a genealogy that goes directly from Adam and Eve all the way to Jesus, so it was 100% a seed of Eve. Cain kills Abel. Why? Abel is said to be righteous. Something stirs inside of him. We need to kill him. Kill that who is righteous. Esau attempts to kill Jacob. Why does that matter? Well, Jacob is going to be the father Israel. He is going to be the one that is the direct, uh, 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 his 12, his, his immediate Uh, sons and two of his grandsons are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. Noah, right? Uh, We see that he and seven others are spared. Uh, Pharaoh orders newborns that they be killed. Uh, In the book of Esther, Haman attempts to have every Jew killed. There is this constant attack that takes place. Herod, when Jesus is born, orders all Jewish boys under two to be killed. The enemy tells Jesus to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple, probably hoping that he would die. And the Jewish people, though, deliver Jesus to Golgotha. And Jesus dies on the cross, and the beast, the dragon, he hates the son. That's why he wants to devour him, because why? Because the son is the one that in Genesis 3 was prophesied, will come and destroy you. Why? Because he will rule the nations. You'll have temporary authority just to prove as a testimony for eternity that you are a terrible, ruthless leader. And it will always be said that Jesus is the best. King Saul tries repeatedly to kill David. It's non-stop throughout the scripture. And what does he say? He says that he will rule all the nations. And and I just think that the argument that that's us, the church, just doesn't fit within the narrative of scripture. I think that John is using... language that we find used in the old testament and i think that if we look at those old testament passages we do not see that it's you and i that are the ones that are ruling with the rod of iron but it is jesus that is so verse 6 and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by god in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days this is israel's last Exile. And it takes place during the second half of the tribulation. So for three and a half years, the beast attempts to destroy Israel, but Israel flees to exile one last time. They go and they go into hiding and they are protected. This beast, this antichrist, cannot get to them. Now, Revelations 12 7 through 12. We're gonna, we, so we've gotten this picture of who the players are. And then John does this thing where he says, here's who they are. Now we're going to look at the time frame again. So he backs up here in verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. I just want to point this out, and I've said this before, but this word war here is polemos, which is where we get the, the word politic. From. this is not like a war in the sense of like you know 300 okay uh this is war like a group of politicians screaming and yelling at each other right the great accuser the 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 one that accuses the saints so there is a war that is taking place it is some type of word war of words uh i'm not saying that there's not violence in the midst of it but it has a political agenda is the influence here verse 8 but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven so this dragon at some point had a place in heaven where he was able to come and leave. We see this in the book of Job, right? The enemy is able to walk into the throne room of God. That gets taken away from him at some point. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. I love how John just kind of just says, look, you've heard him called all these different things. We don't have a real name for him. He is some type of just evil monster. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Some type of political war. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives, even unto death. How do they conquer this accuser, this liar? Jesus dies on the cross, and then the saints of God, that's you and I, we begin to tell a testimony of what God has done in our life, and that partnering with the blood of Christ defeats this argument of the enemy. And this whispering that's taking place on, on, on how you can be this and you can do that. And then all of a sudden you've got another group of people who are saying, no, let me tell you what God did in my life. So there are all of these rulers over here. We don't know who they are. Spiritual uh, leadership, right? Principalities. They have dominion. And then you have a group of people who say, I will not be submitted to these kings because I'm submitted to the one king. And that testimony about declaring the goodness of the one king paired with the the sacrifice that took place on the cross defeats the enemy's argument. And so, therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Why, he has not been able to stop the Genesis 3 prophecy He has not been able to stop the seed from coming and crushing him, and he is filled with rage is what it says. Now, Revelation 12, 13 through 16, I think that this specifically takes place during that time of Jacob's trouble. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child... But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Again, that would be uh, that time, time, and half a time. That's three and a half years. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. So there is a just hatred for this woman. Again, I'm making the argument that it's Israel. And Revelation 12, verse 17, the final verse here, this is our kind of introduction into the second half of the tribulation. And watch this, right? It says that, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, and he stood on the sand of the sea. Who are the offspring? I think the offspring are Christians. We're the descendants of the Jewish faith. And so the Jews hold to this Old Testament, but they don't accept the New Testament because they're still looking for Jesus to return, right? They don't don't accept that the Jesus that died on Golgotha was the Jesus that was prophesied, right? Scripture says that they're, they're blinded, right? But their descendants, because of the foundation that they laid, it gave birth to a new group of people. And who are they? They are the ones that keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so I I tend to lean into the fact that the church is involved in this tribulation to some level. Again, I'm not going to hold that closed-handed and, you know, go down swinging on it, but I do think that what we're seeing in a timeline here is that believers are definitely at work in the world during this time, uh, and maybe it's... Uh, maybe it's because you know some people are just not sold out for them until it's too late and then they get on fire and sell out but i think that these offspring these are these are the christians these are the followers of christ and that second half of tribulation what it tells us right here is that the, the this antichrist this serpent right who's put all of his time and energy for three and a half years into israel Israel's now protected in exile and during that time of protection he turns his hate his fury towards the offspring towards those that have done what they keep the commandments of god and hold to the testimony of jesus and i just make this argument too hey listen if you're living with sin in your life right and you just justify that and you go it's not that big of a thing i'm telling you right every book of the new testament we've talked about this it it deals with conduct right there is a level of conduct in the conversation and what does he say right here Those that keep the commandments. That is not those that have read them and, you know, keep a copy in their back pocket and do what they want to do. No, I mean, you definitely make yourself a target, apparently, if you start living a righteous life. Uh, But by living a righteous life, you are known as His. And I believe that this imagery of the diadems is really, really critical to our understanding of authority. That we can choose to be under the authority of the king of kings and the lord of lords or we can allow ourselves to be relegated to be under that of a different king somebody else can be in charge and god says in his in his scripture that these other kings they don't have your best interest at heart they're not trying to build a a place of hope and love instead they are building a place that enslaves people it's bondage and then this is the picture of hell that we get right God's not the king in this place, and there is not going to be hope there. Instead, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You'll be subject to an authority that is not the God that created you. So let's stand to our feet. So a lot of information. Hopefully it piques your curiosity and you want to do more research. Uh, I would love to see that happening among us. At, at the very least, I want to say this. Uh, we have an opportunity to choose to be submitted to the king that will rule over all of eternity and that's what it looks like to become a follower of christ it's that hey i can't do this on my own i can't save myself no matter how hard i try i'm going to find myself under the the rulership of a king that is not going to care about me and so jesus i need you to be lord of my life and, and then we become, our names are written in this book, right? The book of life. There's a, a, a protection that comes in an eternal position over our existence. God is our ruler. Jesus is our king. And that's, that's hope, right? In the midst of it all is that at the end of the day, the reason that this enemy is so furious at work to, to bring destruction is because he knows that he loses. And he is enraged by that at this point. And uh, where are we at in the timeline? I have no clue. And I got to tell you, like, I do not want to live my life thinking that tomorrow is the beginning of the tribulation. Because I'll do that till the day that I die, potentially, and have wasted all that God can do. What I want to do is have an understanding of what to look for so that I can myself not be deceived, but also equip the next generation. And I want to learn how to follow Christ in this life and live for him and serve him. So let me pray for you as we go. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you f- that uh, it's, it's complicated. We know, Lord, but you bring understanding. You bring clarity, and, and we need that in our lives. Lord, we need to know how to live life each and every day through hardship and difficult seasons. We need to know how to live when we're, when when things are, uh, when the blessings are plenty, uh, when we are just experiencing joy. We need to know how do we consistently honor you with our lives. Help us to do that in all that we do, Lord. I pray for those that have not yet made a decision to declare you as king. That they continue to ride the fence or even maybe personally walk in deception Lord I pray that your word would just penetrate through that darkness and bring light into uh, their life we love you and praise you in your mighty name amen hey guys uh if you need prayer our prayer ministry teams are in the back we want to pray with you we serve a a king that is alive jesus is coming back he sits at the right hand of the father interceding for the saints and so if you are sick in body maybe you need prayer for a a workplace or your marriage we want to pray with you whatever the need is we believe that god shows up that god cares Uh, and so you can make your way to the back to the prayer team Uh, Otherwise, next week we'll be talking specifically about the Antichrist and the false prophet and the mark of the beast. It'll be fun. It's like rays of summer sunshine coming in right here in uh, the beginning of warmth. So we love you guys as always. We'll see you next Sunday. Go change your world.